Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Thursday, the 28th of December, 2023. I'm Kira Evans, and this is a look back at the big stories from July and August of 2023, including a BBC presenter mystery, a summer of wildfires, the trial of Lucy Letby, and the US Congress investigating UFOs. Grab a cup of something hot, put up your feet, and get up to speed on the seven biggest stories of the week. This is the standout seven from the small seven. It's news, but not the news. July 2023 saw an absolutely dizzying week for the BBC with a whirlwind of drama and speculation which all started with a story in The Sun that suggested a BBC presenter had paid a teenager for sexual images. The Sun didn't identify the presenter or the teenager but published an interview with their parents and started a media firestorm. Prominent presenters took to social media to declare that it wasn't them and it emerged that an original complaint was apparently made to the BBC by the victim's mother in May and when it appeared no action had been taken taken, she then approached a tabloid newspaper. Former ITN chief executive Stuart Purvis was on the Sunday shows saying that the BBC is in a difficult position as it can't in any way identify the presenter but that the tone so far has been poor. The problem is it looks evasive. It doesn't look in the, in the jargon they are transparent. So and the statement they issued to me was almost pointing to the parent as the problem. The BBC's 6 o'clock news on Monday evening opened with a denial from the teen at the centre of the story and a statement from their lawyers describing the whole story as rubbish and revealing they had already contacted The Sun before they published the story. Police were assessing information from the BBC about allegations against a presenter but said there was no investigation at this time. PR expert Kevin Craig couldn't believe the story had been published at all given the lack of evidence. I'm actually shocked that the Son went ahead and published a story uh, going against the, you know, denied by the person at the centre of it. This crisis hitherto has had no evidence or facts behind it. Totally hitherto unfounded speculation. The Met Police then asked the BBC to stop its internal investigation while they assessed the matter with BBC Director General Tim Davey, who told Radio 4 for the moment his hands were tied. It is absolutely not the right thing to be doing to speculate. We now need to let the police do their work in terms of seeing the evidence and making their call with regard to further activity. That's what we need to do. Then at 6pm on Wednesday, the nation finally found out who the presenter was from the opening lines of the BBC's own news. Well, in the last few minutes, the BBC presenter has been named as Hugh Edwards, the man who has been accused of paying a teenager for explicit photos. Those who didn't know were shocked. Those who did know were surprised to find out that it was Yu's wife, Vicky Flint, who released a statement identifying him and pleading for privacy as it emerged he had been hospitalised with mental health issues. Around the same time, the Met Police announced that they had interviewed the key players and found no evidence of criminality. It followed a storm of gossip and media frenzy with BBC presenters pleading for their mystery colleague to identify themselves because they, and I'm looking at you, Jeremy Vine, were uncomfortable about 
having their name linked to the speculation. The Sun newspaper clearly have questions to answer, though we'll have to wait some time to hear Hugh's side of the story, as his wife's statement makes clear. Hugh is suffering from serious mental health issues. The events of the last few days have greatly worsened matters. He has suffered another serious episode and is now receiving inpatient hospital care where he'll stay for the foreseeable future. Meanwhile, Rupert Murdoch's Talk TV has apparently paid the parents behind the original allegation tens of thousands for an interview to be broadcast as a documentary series. Jake Cantor, investigations editor with Deadline, says this is another example of News UK using its power to whip up a story. What it does do is feed a wider a, a wider media ecosystem at News UK. Yeah, they've got an outrage machine to fill with content on talk radio and talk TV. Uh, the Times has covered uh, yeah, extensively uh, this issue and uh, that all works in the favour of UTK. The end of July saw climate anxiety ramp up as a heatwave across southern Europe led to wildfires breaking out across Greece, Italy, Algeria and Croatia. Almost 20,000 people were evacuated from the Greek island of Rhodes as the fires began to threaten homes and hotels. Firefighters struggled to contain the flames with strong winds and extreme temperatures driving them across the southeast and into the path of popular tourist resorts. Greek Fire Brigade spokesperson Ioannis Artropius says they had to carry out the largest controlled evacuation in the country's history. The precautionary evacuation involved some 19,000 people. This was the largest safe transport operation for residents and tourists ever carried out in our country. And as Greek authorities announced further evacuations on the island of Crete, thousands of tourists were caught up in the chaos, including British holiday maker Amy Layden, who described her experience evacuating. It was just terrifying. Like, we've got our 11-year-old daughter with us and we were walking down the road at 2 o'clock in the morning and the fire was catching us with us. And I was just thinking, like, I don't know, I'm going to do this because I didn't think we were going to make it. Greek Prime Minister Kyriakis Mitsotakis declared that Greece is at war with fire as firefighters battled for a seventh straight day with wildfires in multiple locations, including Rhodes, Corfu and now Evia, the latest island to go up in flames. Blazes on Rhodes remained out of control, according to the island's deputy mayor, and the fires have forced 19,000 people to leave their homes. But Greek Prime Minister of Tourism Olga Kafalogiani isn't worried. She said people should continue flying to Rhodes. There has been no disruption in the airport. Only a small part of the whole island of Rhodes was affected. The fires have brought climate change into focus, but when asked about the push to reach net zero, Rishi Sunak said he doesn't want to increase household costs through environmental policies. Yes, we're going to make progress towards net zero, but we're going to do that in a proportionate and pragmatic way that doesn't unnecessarily give people more hassle and more costs in their life. The heatwave and extreme weather conditions across southern Europe and the US saw climate change work its way to the top of the global agenda as the planet faces the hottest July on record. A climate report from the UK's Met Office said that 2022's record-breaking temperatures are likely to become the new norm, with 40-degree temperatures becoming a reoccurring feature. Former chair of the Climate Change Committee, Lord Deven, says the UK is just not prepared. We are faced with a real disaster. If we don't act, the world will not be a place where our children can live in. We are going to have migration of a kind we've never seen before, so people won't be moving to better themselves. They'll be moving to live at all. And the United Nations also weighed in as the World Meteorological Organization confirmed that the temperature records being broken are because of the level of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres had a stark warning for the planet. The era of global warming has ended. The era of global boiling has arrived.
The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. It wasn't just Southern Europe that struggled with wildfires. In August, the Hawaiian island of Maui was hit by a catastrophic wildfire that left almost 100 people dead. Maui Police Chief John Pelletier said the fire's intensity made it difficult to identify remains. The remains we're finding is through a fire that melted metal. We have to do rapid DNA to identify them. The fires particularly leveled the town of Lahinia in the west of the island, destroying more than a thousand residential homes and many local businesses. Hawaiian Governor Josh Green said the monetary loss from the fires was huge. The losses approach $6 billion in estimate. The extraordinary thing is to have this leadership from D.C., they can begin to look at how we can rebuild, but also how we can get resources to our people who have lost almost everything. The island of Maui has a number of famous residents, including Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac, who owned a bar and restaurant that was destroyed. He'd already flown aid in for his workers and their families. Oprah Winfrey also lives in Maui part-time and was helping efforts on the ground. In a week or two, all the cameras will be gone and the rest of the world is going to move on with their lives. And we're all still going to be here trying to figure out what is the best way to rebuild. The head of the emergency management agency in Maui, Herman Mandea, subsequently resigned because of the decision not to sound the alert sirens as the fire spread. He said he was worried that people would flee towards the mountains and straight into the path of the fire. There was also a grim warning from Hawaii Governor Josh Green that the wildfire might not be an isolated incident. It was a fire hurricane and I want to warn the entire planet about this. We have to all do right now, right now, what we can to stop global warming and reverse it. August saw Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky on a mini-European tour as he travelled to various European capitals in search of more support in the war with Russia. His visit to Sweden yielded new pledges of armoured vehicles and more training for his troops, but it was his visit to Denmark that really paid off. He finally secured the long-sought-after F-16 fighter jets that could make a real difference to the ongoing efforts to clear Russian troops from Ukrainian soil. The Danish and Dutch Prime Ministers have jointly pledged to deliver 61 F-16s. He's also warned that if Russia's invasion is successful, other parts of Europe would be at risk from the Kremlin's military aggression. All of Russia's neighbours are under threat if Ukraine does not prevail. Democracies of the world, each of them can become a target. August also saw the BRICS meet in South Africa. That's the Southern Hemisphere version of the G7, which includes Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. And its combined GDP rivals that of the Northern Hemisphere's G7. They've invited six additional countries to join, including Saudi Arabia, but Russia's war in Ukraine continues to cause tension in the alliance. And Ukrainian MP Kira Rudok says they'd like to see more support from the member countries of the group. Ideally, we would want BRICS countries to start sending us weapons and to support us. But we also understand that this is unlikely. And so the minimum plan would be to have them involved and at least do not help us support Putin. Wednesday, the 23rd of August, brought a dramatic twist in the Russia-Ukraine saga as footage emerged of a private plane crashing into the ground outside the Russian city of Tivar. The plane contained the head of the Wagner mercenary group, Yevgeny Prizgoskin, along with his jeopardy, and it appeared that none of the passengers had survived. Sky News defence analysis Sean Bell couldn't believe that Prigozhin had put 
put himself in harm's way. The only question in my mind is why he didn't see this coming. Uh, he seemed to be still remaining in circulation and yet what it appears now very clearly that his card was marked, his days were numbered and it's no great surprise that he's uh, met an untimely end. Thursday saw confirmation that the man behind the Mini Coup had died in the crash with US intelligence suspecting that the catastrophic crash was caused by an explosive device on board. Russian President Vladimir Putin paid tribute in a half-hearted way to the man who was once his chef and later his rival. He had a difficult fate. He made serious mistakes in his life. But he achieved the necessary results both for himself and when I asked him to do so for the common goal, as happened in recent months. Despite efforts by some Russian media sources to blame the Ukrainians for the assassination, President Zelensky says it's clear who was behind the killing. First of all, we don't have any connection to the this situation, that's for sure. I think everyone understands who is involved. The nation was gripped across the summer by the trial of former nurse Lucy Letby, who was convicted of murdering seven babies and trying to kill another six while she was working at the Countess of Chester Hospital between June 2015 and June 2016. It made her the most prolific child serial killer in modern British history and the government announced an independent inquiry into the circumstances surrounding the deaths. Medical negligence solicitor Anne Alexander explained why that's important for the case. What the inquiry has to do is to look at how did she get away with it for so long and why, for example, there were three deaths. A group of consultants then made a complaint and said there needs to be investigation. Why did that not happen? And going forward to make sure that something like this cannot be allowed to happen again. The inquiry will see police review the care of more than 4,000 babies in hospitals where Letby worked. Lindsay Etel, who suspects her newborn son was harmed by Letby after she made a complaint about her, said it's important that all families get answers. A guilty verdict is brilliant for the people who have got some sort of justice. It doesn't bring anyone back but it leaves many people who haven't had any answers. So that needs to be looked into. There's many, probably like me, they've got every right for them to be looked into. And if it doesn't come out and they weren't involved, then great. And it's not just families who think more could have been done to prevent the killings. Consultant paediatrician Dr Ravi Jararam first raised concerns about Letby to hospital bosses back in 2016. He explained how Countess of Chester CEO Tony Chambers reacted to his complaint. And then read out a letter from her basically saying, I'm coming back to work and you have to work with me and I'm going to prove to you that I'm a great nurse and I'm not a killer like you say. And then Tony Chambers finished off by saying, I'm drawing a line under this and if you cross that line, there will be consequences for you. Monday the 21st of August saw Letby given a whole life sentence, which means the former nurse will never be released from prison, as the judge described her deep malevolence bordering on sadism. The 33-year-old is one of only three women alive to have been given such a jail term in the UK. There was premeditation, calculation and cunning in your actions. The great majority of your victims suffered acute pain as a result of what you did to them. They all fought for survival. Some, sadly, struggled in vain and died. Lepi refused to appear in court for the sentencing, which has led to debate on whether offenders should be forced to appear for such events. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said it's disgraceful. I think it's cowardly that people who commit such horrendous crimes uh, do not face their victims. And we are looking at changing the law to make sure that that happens and that's something that we'll bring forward in due course. So to come on the Standard 7, more BB Stockholm drama and UFOs in the US Congress. Right after this... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back. The summer saw the saga around the government's new floating detention centre, the BB Stockholm Continue. Designed to deter people from arriving on small boats in the UK, the controversial barge was expected to hold up to 500 male asylum seekers when it became fully operational. But safety concerns on the barge, with firefighters calling it a potential debt trap and legal challenges meant that government plans to house migrants on board were very delayed. Busloads of asylum seekers finally arrived at the barge in early August and local activists gathered at the entrance with welcome signs. We hope that attempts to divide or scapegoat or or follow people don't happen and that we show the real humanity that there is locally. Tory MP Sarah Dines was clear about why the government are using the barge. What it sends is a forceful message that there will be proper accommodation, but not luxurious. Um, Luxurious hotel accommodation has been part of the pull, I'm afraid. Only 24 hours after the first few migrants made the floating vessel their new home, about 20 of them were granted a last-minute reprieve to leave. Apparently it was down to lawyers challenging the decision to move them onto the barge moored off the Dorset coast after some claimed a fear of water due to previous traumas. Tory MP Lee Anderson wasn't happy and he said some pretty nasty things about people seeking refuge in the UK. Labour's Yvette Cooper says his comments aren't helping. Instead of ramping up the rhetoric, instead of promoting division, what they should be doing is getting on with sorting the problems out. Rishi Sunak's plan is just not working at the moment. Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick was more positive, though. He's promised the government will sort out the current backlog of asylum seekers. The last eight weeks of data show record levels of decision-making. So I'm very confident that we will make good on the promise that we made in December to clear the legacy backlog by the end of the year. That wasn't the end of the BB Stockholm drama, however, as 39 migrants had to be evacuated from the barge last weekend after traces of Legionella disease were found in the water systems. Testing for the bacteria was carried out at the end of July, but the results didn't come back until shortly after the first migrants had boarded the barge. Refugee and asylum specialist Louise Calve said the whole situation is just unacceptable. I can't them why people were moved onto that barge without those test results being back. And I think it's indicative of the government seeing this whole barge exercise really as a publicity stunt. Professor Dame Jenny Harries, the Chief Executive of the UK Health and Safety Authority, weighed in on the barge and its hazardous water systems. She explained that Legionella doesn't always pose a threat. This is quite a common finding and it's quite complex. Just finding Legionella does not necessarily mean there is a significant risk to human health and it is primarily the responsibility of the operator to ensure that that is fully managed. Despite the many problems with the barge, Rishi was standing by. He stopped the boat pledge but wasn't prepared to discuss the calamitous sequence of health and safety issues around the barge plan and seemed intent on firing ahead. This is about fairness. It's about the unfairness, in fact, of British taxpayers forking out you know, five or six million pounds a day to house illegal migrants in hotels up and down the country with all the pressure that puts on local communities. 
communities. Labour's Jonathan Ashworth said the government is also failing to tackle the root of the problem, people smugglers. The Conservatives are doing nothing to go after these criminal gangs. So Labour would go after those gangs, would invest in a proper serious crime agency to really crack down on them. That's why you've got that's how you deal with this problem. Wednesday, 19th of July, marked an historic day for LGBTQ plus community with the publication of a long-awaited independent review into the treatment of gay military personnel up to the year 2000. The report reveals shocking evidence of overt homophobia, bullying and sexual abuse at a time when gay people were officially banned from serving. Lord Etherton, who wrote the report, recommended that a full apology be made in the House of Commons and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak did so once it was published. The ban on LGBT people serving in our military until the year 2000 was an appalling failure of the British state. As today's report makes clear, in that period many endured the most horrific sexual abuse and violence, homophobic bullying and harassment, all while bravely serving this country. The review interviewed LGBT veterans and described what it called appalling consequences for their mental health and well-being and recommended financial compensation for those affected. Defence Secretary Ben Wallace, who served in the armed forces at the time of the ban, also offered his sincere apologies. I cannot imagine what it must have been like to join the armed forces, buoyed up by the great spirit of service and only to discover to your horror that many believe you didn't fit. I cannot imagine what it must have felt like to have been hounded out of a job you love simply on account of your sexuality. We've seen some odd sights in the US Congress in 2023, including Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene holding up explicit photos of Hunter Biden for reasons best known to herself. But weirdest of all was July's public hearing on UFOs. A whistleblower, David Grush, who worked for the Department of Defence's Unexplained Anomalous Phenomena Unit, said that not only are there recovered crashed UFOs, there may also be aliens. As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. You've been listening to The Smart 7. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. Hit that follow button and have a great day. Give us seven minutes and we'll give you the world. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.